This is the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan. Hello, friends, and welcome to a Wednesday Wisdom episode of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan. And if you're wondering why the J, the answer is I am not a bagpipe player. And if that joke doesn't make any sense, I encourage you to check out episode zero where I explain that joke as well as the purpose of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast. But as to today's episode, our Wednesday Wisdom episodes are this. I am sharing the audio of my sermons from the church I pastor, Evident Grace Fellowship in Fredericksburg, Virginia, as well as sermons from churches I have pastored prior, as well as sermons that I've preached at other places. And I'm sharing them with you for this reason. My sermons are usually not too long. They're between 30 and 40 minutes long. And by sharing them with you, it gives you a chance for some spiritual encouragement midweek. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope it's challenging and encouraging, like I said. And if it is, would you please send me a note at uh, gordon at jgordonnuckin.com or maybe even share this sermon online, Facebook, or on your Instagram story. I hope you enjoy it. So let's get to the sermon. Now what's going on in John 12 is something that happened every single year for the Jewish people. Every year they would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And so, as you can imagine, uh, uh, Israel is a large country and people are spread out all over the place, but they would find themselves going up to Jerusalem. And there's a portion of scripture in the book of Psalms called the Psalm, excuse me, Psalms of Ascent. These are 14 or 15 Psalms that they would sing. So what's going to happen is they're all walking and walking and walking, and they're getting closer to Israel. And when they got closer to Jerusalem itself, families would begin singing these psalms of ascent. That's what's happening right before Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, that the people are all gathering. And it's not like an organized service, just like when you get on that road and you're getting ready to go to Jerusalem, it's time to start singing praises to God. It was their call to worship, if you will. So I began thinking about that. It's like since we're looking at uh, what's called the triumphal entry, which is Jesus arriving in Jerusalem, what would it be like for us if we were to do the same thing? Like what would it look like for us to have that same sense of singing psalms of ascent? And so I didn't pick one of those 14 or 15 verses uh, psalms. They're beautiful, but... Uh, I thought, in light of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, what would it look like for us to sing? Now, this is going to be the last time I come out here. People get really nervous when I spend a lot of time out here during the service. So this will be my last time. So imagine that we're all walking. We all happen to bump into each other. We're on the path, and we're going to, not yet, but we're going to call that screen uh, Jerusalem. Like, we're going up on the mountain, right? And so what would we sing? So stand, if I stand up with me, this is the last time I'm going to make you be interactive. I promise. So stand up with me for a moment. So we're all walking. We're tired. You're kids are hungry. They don't have a game board. They don't have a, a, a game, any way to distract themselves. But we, all of a sudden, are getting that same sense that we're close to Israel, Jerusalem, and we should sing. And so I thought this would be appropriate. How many of you guys are familiar with the doxology? It, it, it's, it's, if not, hang in there. Um, it's fairly easy to pick up. But I thought, what a wonderful way for us to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus before we look at this passage of Scripture. So I'm going to begin this. Everyone join in if you know it, okay? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. 
Please be seated. That amen's always optional. So let's. You know how, man, I felt like that was like the national anthem. What key do you start there? That was tough. Sorry about that. Didn't want to wind up in Sports Center for the wrong reason. So here we go. So they've walked into Jerusalem. And what we looked at in our assurance of pardon is that Jesus has come in on a donkey, and the people are all praising him. Everybody wants to see Jesus. And what I want us to wrestle with is, what does it mean for us to see Jesus? Here's our big idea. Wishing to see Jesus. And our passage is going to show us three things. Confusion is okay. Opposition is expected. And resurrection is promised. When you want to see Jesus, those three things. If you want to break it down, like confusion would be probably uh, Christians. Like we don't have all the answers. Like we want to see Jesus, we're a little confused. The opposition, we'll call them the cranky. Like they're just not really happy what's going on. And the resurrection, uh, that, my friends, that is for the curious. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Let's talk about confusion is okay. Let's look up here at John 12. Now, I'm not going to reread everything. I don't have uh, as much time for that as uh, what's going on here. But look at verse 16. They've all, Jesus has come into Jerusalem on a donkey. People are singing, palm leaves. And, and he goes, when the disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Now, Jesus was glorified 40 days after his resurrection. That's the passage between the end of Matthew when he is resurrected into the book of Acts, where he sees his disciples, he spends time with them, and he gives them the mission. So after when Jesus was glorified, the disciples figured some things out. What this is telling us is when everybody was singing and everybody's waving palm leaves, the disciples are with the crowd, maybe like you guys, but like, I'm not quite sure what's going on here. But once Jesus was glorified, they got it. Once Jesus rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven and was glorified, they got it. They understood that these things had to happen for Jesus to be the Savior. They understood that Jesus had to die for the payment of sin. They understood that Jesus had to ascend into heaven for the church to do its work. And the thing that eased their confusion was when Jesus was glorified. You see, seeing the glory of Jesus is where our confusions begin to dissipate. Our confusion becomes faith. Our confusion becomes solid when we can see Jesus glorified. Look what else has happened. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, they continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. You see, the disciples have figured it out. They're like, okay, all of this was part of the great work of our being forgiven, of your being forgiven, and the world being forgiven. And the crowd saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, and they're running out, and they can't stop telling people. They knew Lazarus. They knew he died. They saw him put in a tomb. But when he rose again, they're like, you guys have got to figure out how Je- who Jesus is. Now, here's the thing, friends. When you arrive in worship, it seems like there's some people here who have got all their stuff together. There's the folks who look fantastic. Some of you guys are just beautiful. You guys look fantastic. Some of you, your job's rock solid. Like, wow, look at that person's career. Some of you moms, man, that mom has got it. I mean, that's, I mean, you know what I'm saying? We bump into people, and you're like, that person's really got it together. And all of you can probably find someone who's got it more together than you, right? We all walk around with that same sense, right? But sometimes you bump into people, and you're like, that person knows so much about the Bible. 
That person never seems to waver. Like when I come to them, they've always got a Bible verse. That person seems to be so strong in their faith, and we get a little worried. We get a little discouraged. Hey, all my kids in high school, middle school, elementary, high school, sometimes you think, wait a minute, am I supposed to be loving Jesus in high school? Am I supposed to be loving Jesus in middle school? And you worry. You're like, wait a minute. All of us have that same confusion. Some of us are like the crowd running around, like excited because Jesus did something, but probably our faith really isn't really had a lot of depth. And some of us may be like the apostles, like, you know what? I see the glory of God, and I got it. Here is my encouragement to you, okay? The one thing that I'm going to encourage all of you to hold on to is the glory of Jesus. His glory is that he would live a life of humiliation, and obedience for your sake. So when you know all those places I just mentioned where you're all messed up, covered. Jesus did it right for you. All those places where you look around and you're like, those people have got it better than me. What am I going to do? And you become so insecure. You're like, no, Jesus has got that covered for you. He did that for you. He was a good student. He was a good parent. He's a good husband to the church. He's a parent to you, the children of God. He's all those things. There's not a category that he's not perfect at. And then when you think, but wait a minute, that person's so much better than I am. I am so, if you knew my thoughts in a day, you wouldn't spend time with me. And then you go, wait a minute, but the glory of Jesus is that he died so that I don't have to live in that guilt and shame anymore. You're like, I know, Gordon, but I don't, I've been trying to get better forever. And I said, no, 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 the glory of Jesus is that he rose again, and that's your hope for transformation. You see, the glory of Jesus is what makes a level playing ground for all of us, because that's not our glory, that's his glory. He shares his glory with it, but it's still with us, but it's still his. So when you come here with a lot of confusion, it's okay. Your doubt, your skepticism, your worry. What is the remedy for our hearts is the glory of Jesus. We never get beyond the cross and the resurrection. Oh, there's so much depth, there's so much theology, there's so much New Testament after that, and we're going to explore it. But the answer to your insecurity and your fears and your worry and your confusion and your inadequacy and your guilt and your shame is the glory of Jesus Christ. And the disciples, it took them a while to get it. But when this moment happens and Jesus is rolling into Jerusalem, everybody's singing and worshiping. You guys in the crowd looking around like, wow, that person's got their hands up, they're worshiping. And you feel like, that ain't me, right? That was the disciples. They didn't get it. But when they saw the glory of Jesus, they got it. And so for us, we're going to need to see that glory of Jesus over and over and over and over again. It's not a one-time thing. You can read the rest of the New Testament, and the, the disciples don't always keep it. They miss out on the glory of Jesus. But ultimately, they get more and more mature, and the glory of Jesus becomes their comfort. Friends, that is your comfort today. Your confusion, doubt, skepticism, shame, guilt, all those things. It's the glory of Jesus. So much here, though. Let's jump into the opposition. If you love the glory of Jesus, someone is not going to like you. Very few of us like to not be liked. I had my teenage heavy metal rebellion period where I thought it was great to not be liked. Underneath, I found other teenage heavy metal kids to bond with which showed how ironic that was right like none of us seek out opposition or if we do rarely do we our hearts long for connectivity 
So when Jesus tells you that you're going to face opposition, wait till we get to the next verse, it's not exactly the first thing we're excited about. But look what happens here. The people come along, they're waving palm leaves, they're singing, the disciples are confused, but the crowd's getting excited, and the Pharisees, by the way, they were the really religious folks. They were the experts. They had the Old Testament memorized. They made up extra laws. They were really good at extra laws. And the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing? Look, the world's gone after him. This is like an infight. Like your NIV, if you have that translation, may say, you see, we are gaining nothing. Like they're arguing with each other. They're like, we're not holding these guys back very well. Our mission of suppressing Jesus isn't, it's, we're not doing a good job. Everyone's chasing after him. So this is like the huddle, right? Jesus has gone up on, on, on the donkey and everybody's waving the palm leaves and the Pharisees are like, guys, huddle up. We're, we're failing. People like Jesus. What are we going to do here? Like they're literally plotting to stop people from worshiping Jesus. And we, and I'll use this word gently, are foolish if we think that is still not the case today. Worlds, institutions, authorities, Satan will be glad for you not to be excited about Jesus. Opposition is expected. Opposition, however, is where you find the comfort of Jesus. I had the opportunity uh, in college to work at a camp. Several of you guys got to work at that camp, one of my favorite places. And they had a, a ropes course. Anybody know what a ropes course is? Yeah, it's like you put a bunch of ropes in trees, and you put 18-year-olds in the trees 70 feet up, and somehow that's safe. But it was a lot of fun. And at this one camp, there was a, um, a cargo net that dipped down and went up to about 75 or 80 feet. When you got to the top there, you clipped in, and you, you, you got to take a, a pulley system down into the water and skip. It was a blast, right? Um, the kids were terrified at 80 feet, and I would often work at the tower, right? And then we had one rule, and I don't know if that rule still exists. I wasn't allowed to push anybody. Like, you got, you got to sit on the edge, and, and, and you, got, uh, you, you got the little pulley system, you're all plugged in, and, and the fun awaits you, but I was not allowed to push anybody. I would sometimes sit there for over an hour. It's all backed up, but I just wasn't allowed to push anybody. Sometimes I would say, tell you what, I'm going to hold you out. I'm going to suspend you, and you let me know when I can let you go. And I would still do that forever, right? But I wasn't allowed to push them. They had to say, I'm ready to go. And when they went, it, I have no idea the, how fast it was. It was so fast. The wind's blowing you. You crash into the water. There's feet. There's arms and legs going everywhere. It was a blast. And it was terrifying. Because you're stepping into nothing. You're 80 feet in the air. You're going into the wind, and you are going to just absolutely crash into that water. Few people were graceful, not many. And the moment you got out of the water, every kid said, that was the greatest thing I've ever done. I want to do it again. Every now and then there's that one that was like, I'm never doing that again. It is a rough and poor analogy for the Christian faith. But you sit on the precipice of opposition every single day. If you dare declare the name of Jesus, you will be opposed. If you speak in in any sense about the morality of Scripture against the morality of culture, you will be opposed. 
If you speak about how you're trying to raise your kids or trying to be a, a Christian business person, whatever the case may be, opposition awaits you. And we don't want to run headlong into it. We sit at the precipice. It may not be as fun as crashing into the water, but we know what awaits us, and it is joy. Why would opposition be joy? Why should we, in some sense, be excited to know that there are people out there conspiring against you? Try to sound less paranoid, but trying to be honest. Because any time you get to walk in the feet of your Savior, Jesus Christ, you will know a higher joy than walking in the pattern that you think best. We are promised in Scripture that if we proclaim his name, we will be persecuted just as he was. And we are commanded to do it. Not to pick fights, not to be obnoxious, not to be purposely offensive, but to raise up the glory of Jesus in the marketplace. What are we raising up? We're raising up the glory of Jesus. What do we have to say? We have to say a life of perfection in light of our life of sinfulness. A just death in light of the punishment that we deserve. A resurrection of hope for the change that we all need. But we will face opposition. That's why the church is so important. It's why we support and encourage each other when we try to figure out how is it I tell the world about Jesus in middle school or in high school or in college or at the gym or at the Y or at my workplace or wherever it is you may go. They didn't want to see Jesus, but people did. Resurrection is promised, verse 20. Now among them who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Anytime the scripture used the word Greeks, uh, it's, it's practically synonymous with Gentile, or just read in that non-Christian, if you will. And so you've got this giant Jewish festival. Everything's happened there is Jewish. The food is Jewish. The worship is Jewish. The, the language is Hebrew. Like, it's as Jewish as you can get. And, and Jerusalem is overrun. It's just what they do for a week. And some Greeks showed up. Some people who did not believe in Yahweh. And they showed up. It's an odd place to show up. You would be incredibly obtuse. You wouldn't know the language. You wouldn't know the actions. You wouldn't know how to do what everybody's doing. But they showed up. And they found one of the disciples. And they're like, we really want to talk to Jesus. Jesus' fame is spreading, not only because of what he did with Lazarus, but because the people who are excited about Jesus are telling the world. So Philip tells Andrew, Andrew and Philip go to Jesus and and say, hey, there's some folks here who want to meet you, and Jesus doesn't rush out to meet them yet. What Jesus wants to do is to share with Philip and Andrew what the depth of faith really is. So he says this. He's like, hey, here's what you can do. I'll give it to you. He's like, you can take a, a, a kernel of wheat. I know nothing about this. So let's say, <laughs> and you're going to plant it, right? Now, if I hold it in my hand, it, it dies. There's nothing to it. Uh, any seed that you would plant, if you just keep it in your hand, it's not going to grow. Nothing's going to happen to it. 
But if you plant it, it dies and reproduces. It becomes something else. Just hold on to it, though. Nothing happens. Will you flip to the next, next slide? Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You might say, Jesus is calling me to die. And I would say yes, but I would also say Jesus is calling you to resurrection. Resurrection doesn't happen without death. And so what that means is when you and I plan our lives, anything from our course scheduled to what the week looks like, what do you call it, calendar coordination, whatever you're doing, what your career aspirations are, what you can do when your kids graduate and move out, any of that stuff. All of that is secondary to following Jesus and dying to experience resurrection. Doesn't mean you can't do those things. Doesn't mean you can't have plans for college or for work, for your kids, all those things. But the question is, in the midst of that, what does that look like for you to die for the sake of Jesus so you can be resurrected? That means some of your plans might change. It means some of the friends that you might have may not, change, may not be there for you. But it will mean that you can be a part of a church that supports you, encourages you. It means you can have an eternal hope. Look at that last verse. That last verse is crazy. God's going to honor you. Where did we see honor in this passage? Jesus coming in on a donkey and the people waving palm leaves and singing songs. Like somehow, when you die for the sake of Jesus and you offer all your plans to him and say, if you don't want this, I'll do anything you want me to do, which is the call of the Christian. Ultimately, your reward eternally is that God honors you for that. So friends, for all of you right now, I don't mean to cause an existential crisis for you, but what I want is for all of us to sit and ask ourselves, am I running my plans ultimately through the glory of God? Am I willing to change anything that I'm presently doing ultimately for his sake? Is that the grid by which I make the decisions of school, work, parenting, marriage? I love this. Jesus, it, it, my thought, if I'm looking at this, I think Jesus would run out and go tell the Greeks about how to be saved. He's like, no, you know what, Philip and Andrew, you're going to tell a lot more people than I got to tell. So let me tell you what you need to tell them. The message of the gospel is a hard one to hear, but it is a resurrection hope. Friends, if you have not been with us, we, we end our sermons in this way. Uh, I repeat the big idea of the big picture question and uh, I give you a truth, an application, and an action. A truth is just a nugget of truth you can take away from the sermon. An application is a live knowing this kind of moment. And then an action is let's go do something, okay? So in light of the time, I'm going to go ahead and move us on to a conclusion here. Uh, the big idea was wishing to see Jesus, right? And I told you that confusion's okay. I told you opposition is expected. And resurrection is promised, okay? My, my truth is a little bit more wordy this week. I'm sorry, I wrote like six of them. Uh, I just, I couldn't get rid of them. It's a little bit wordy. But here's our truth for today. Our doubt-filled faith is vilified by the world. That is the truth. Your faith is vilified. And the fact that you, you can hang on to your faith even when you doubt. The world doesn't like that. The world wants you to say, well, this is your moment to sweep away. Yet, when we are truly seen by Jesus, we enjoy a resurrection hope that will transcend this world and sustain us to eternity. What we're doing here is eternal. So the world's going to vilify you. 
But what we're doing here is honored by God for eternity. How do we live in light of that? Application. Live knowing that giving your life away to Jesus can be confusing. It's really okay. It's really confusing. But remind yourself constantly that Jesus welcomes you as you seek him in the midst of your doubt. All those people that lined the streets that day with the palm leaves, do you think all of them worshiped Jesus that day? Some of them. But a crowd attracts a crowd. Probably not all of them followed Jesus. But Jesus knew who did. And he knew that by his life, death, and resurrection, it would sweep millions of people into worship. And so for you, my friends, he welcomes you even when you doubt. You can show up today and say, you know what? I believe in Jesus. I just don't really love him today. You could show up to him with that. He's going to welcome you in. He's going to try to change you. But more than anything else, he's going to forgive you and love you. Action. Let's answer this question this week. All you got to do is answer a question. I'm not even going to tell you to do anything this week. This one's easy. Here's your question. What does losing my life for Jesus' sake look like in these areas? Like, what does it look like for me to lose my life at school? Do you know what I mean by that? Like, losing my life for the sake of Jesus? What does that look like at school? Middle school, high school, college, wherever you're at. What does it look like for me to lose my life for the sake of Jesus at work? What is it like to lose my life for the sake of Jesus at gym or my house? What does it look like for me to sacrifice for the sake of Jesus? That will give you plenty of actions to do once you do that. Now, friends, here's what's going to happen for us this week. Uh, This sermon is hopeful in the resurrection, but it's probably harsh, I guess, to some extent. I hope it's comforting that you can be here confused. The opposition is scary. The resurrection is hopeful. This week, we may not see each other a whole lot. Our small groups don't meet. Um, but Thursday, we're going to have this big meal. We're all going to get together. For our guests, you're all welcome. If you're in town, come on. If you've got to travel, we'll make sure there's food. We're just going to get together and eat and laugh and joke with each other, right? Just have a wonderful time. And then we have a time of sharing. Last year, we, we talked about what are you glad God's done in the church and what do you hope God's going to do next year? And that was good. We sang some songs and we took, a, we took the Lord's Supper. It was just joyous. Friday, there's several Good Friday services here in town. If you want to go do that, if you want to uh, contemplate the death of Jesus for the sake of your sin. Saturday, we're going to help out with the 5K that we always help out. We get to serve on Saturday. We always serve on Saturdays. And then Easter, we're going to gather and we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. We do it once a year. Celebrate Jesus every Sunday, but we have this moment once a year. My desire is that these moments and these seasons truly can transform us. Taking a week to contemplate in that kind of depth your sin and the resurrection of Jesus, seeking the glory of God, truly can be transformative in your life. So pastorally, as your pastor, that's what I'm praying for you. Whether you're a member or a guest, I'm praying that for you. But we can look different on the other side of this. If you don't know how, confusion is okay. (laughs) If you're worried, opposition is expected. But resurrection is promised. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus who doesn't cast us away when we doubt. Thank you for Jesus who didn't hate us but lived and died and rose again. Father, just would you would you use today and the, the works of this week to, to to truly transform us? Give us great joy, great boldness. Give us great worship and celebration. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
You care about your business. That's why preformed and prepackaged approaches to marketing do not help. Because of that, CTP Marketing and Consulting seeks to understand you, your product, and your services, and they will partner with you in creating a customized approach to meet your marketing needs. Towards that end, CTP offers traditional print marketing, social media services, SEO, event coordination, campaign creation, fundraising, and a host of other services. Reach out to them today and see if this personal approach to marketing can help you grow your business. You can find them at ctpmarketplace.com or you can email them at admin at ctpmarketplace.com that's admin at ctpmarketplace.com reach out to them today for their free evaluation and see if they can help you grow your business and help you meet your goals